CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. I'm a veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage four prostate cancer, so during the initial stages of the COVID-19 outbreak, my doctors advised me to stay at home. But now, a little more than a year later, I'm fully vaccinated and I've rejoined society. But I'm still continuing this podcast when I'm calling the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who I've met throughout my 30 years in this industry. Plus, this year, I'm going to be calling some people and making new friends. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. Hey everyone, it is Fitz with a surprise edition of the Life of Fitz podcast. I know we just ended season two of the podcast, but when someone named Jordy Nelson reaches out to you and says, hey, I'd love to do your podcast so that I can talk about the upcoming Jordy Nelson Legends Classic. It's a home run derby and softball game that'll take place September 12th at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. You say, sure, as long as I can talk to you about a whole lot more. And that's exactly what we did this weekend. Jordy and I hooked up to talk about his life after the NFL, being back in Kansas, living the life of a farmer, and his love for softball, which, believe it or not, was the first time I ever saw Jordy Nelson. And the moment I saw him playing softball at the fields here in Manhattan, Kansas, I knew this kid was something special. And I got to tell you something, as good as Jordy Nelson turned out to be on the football field, he might have been even better as a softball player. And you can check it all out if you go buy a ticket for his Legends Classic game that will serve as a fundraiser. All of the details are in the description of this podcast, so you can go check that out. So now let's call former Kansas State and Green Bay Packers football legend, Jordy Nelson in Riley, Kansas. Hello. Hey, Jordy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Have you enjoyed your uh, traditional Kansas summer of 100 degrees? I have. Fortunately for us, so we've been traveling around. So nice. we were in Colorado a little bit and eliminated the humidity and we then just rep in Green Bay for a few days. So, um, but yeah, it's 100 degrees or something nice. Yeah. Uh, where in Colorado did you go? Grand Junction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in an uh, auction a year or so ago, we uh, bought a uh, like a little rental Airbnb house. So, oh, cool. we went there with the family and got some of those Palisade peaches, I guess, that are famous and did some ATV and floated down the river and stuff like that. Nice. Very nice. So, um, 
How did the softball game come about? This is really interesting to me. Let me share you my earliest memory of Jordy Nelson. <laughs> this ought to be good. It is. Um, one night, I'm sitting at the ball fields, the softball fields, and we're getting ready to play our, our game. And uh, I think it was the last chance team was out there playing. And uh, this guy hit a ball into the gap in right center. Didn't even get past the outfield. And next thing I know, you were standing on third. And you know, and it was upper level. I mean, it was the top league in town. And you flew around the bases. And I looked at my, my buddy, Bernie Haney, and I said, who the hell is that? And he goes, oh, that's Jordy Nelson. Mark Mangino said he's not fast enough to play at KU, so he's going to walk on at K-State. I will never forget that quote from from Jordy or from Bernie about Jordy Nelson. It was so funny, but I knew between your senior year of high school and, and college that you were fast and you could play softball. <laughs> Football. No one knew about but softball. Yeah, that was easy. That's it's really funny to think about. I mean, everyone in town's like, oh, he's a great softball player. He's going to try to play football. And, <laughs> and what, 18, 19 years later, 20 years later, uh, here you are. It's been in quite a ride, but I think it's kind of cool that you came back to softball. So back to that question, how did we end up with a softball game after the first home game of the season? Um, I would say first, I love playing slow pitch softball. Um, like you just mentioned, I played it um, when I was in high school, even. Um, and then right afterwards, we'd always go down to Twin Oaks and play in Manhattan. We'd play in Randolph during their 4th of July tournament. That's probably where my slow pitch softball career um, started. <laughs> and that was with playing with uh, my mom and dad, who played softball when we were kids. I mean, that during the summers, we grew up on the ball diamond, um, watching them play slow pitch softball when we were younger. And um, so, yeah, we'd always put a team in and Randolph playing their 4th of July tournament. Um, started with them. And then afterwards, we uh, started putting our own team in with kids our age after mom and dad decided to, to hang the cleats up. But when I was in Green Bay, um, after Donald Driver retired, I guess when I first got to Green Bay, Donald Driver put on the softball game. And so every um, June, at the end of OTAs, we'd go down to Appleton and play in the Brewers Minor League Stadium um, and do pretty much the same thing we'll do on the 12th, have a little sponsor game, do a home run derby, and then a game, which obviously I was all for. And then once Donald retired, uh, the game kind of got passed down to me, and I ran it there for about four or five years and just have a blast doing it. Like I said, I love playing softball. I think it's a fun sport that I would like to say and wish I could say everyone could play, but everyone cannot play this game for as easy as it looks. Um, so you, to me, it's a very simple way of finding out who, like, at least in the locker room, the debate is, are you an athlete or are you athletic? Yeah. And it's kind of however you want to word it, but to find the true athletes out there, um, or the two athletic ones, maybe if you're an athlete, if you can play a sport, you're athletic, if you can play multiple, but, um, there's some guys that would come down and, um, can't even hit a ball after 10 pitches. And then you got, I mean, we had two offensive linemen, Josh sitting and TJ Lang that were some of the most athletic guys I've ever met. Um, and they'd go out there and crush it, hit the ball, run, field, throw everything. Um, just natural athletes. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's, uh, I think it's fun for fans to see us outside of our gear, especially when we were in green Bay, like obviously we were just out there in baseball jerseys and shorts and running around 
being a bunch of goofballs, uh, trying to put on a good show. Um, but yeah, they kind of just see us in a different element and just kind of a bunch of buddies hanging out like as if you were at the local beer league on a, on a Saturday night or a Wednesday afternoon. Man, that, that whole explanation was so Kansas growing up in <laughs> Kansas with, with softball, exactly like I did in Salina. And, uh, I, I'm not sure that's getting passed on. I, I think in the world in which we live now, kids have a lot of other choices, but going out and playing softball and, learning softball and getting a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better until you're playing at a pretty high level is a very Kansas thing that I'm afraid we're losing. I think softball's dying off a little bit, which makes me really sad. It is a little bit. We still go around um, and play in uh, some tournaments. Uh, there's one in Linderville that we just played in, and then we'll play at the Labor Day one in Palmer, um, which is packed. That one is not dying down. That is true small-town softball. There's, I don't know, there's over 10 or so teams, I believe, there. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I think some of it is, just like anything, it's became extremely expensive to play. The bats, I mean, as crazy as it seems, like with slow-pitch softball, like you'd think everything could be simple, but they start juicing up the bats to where anyone can hit them out or anyone can hit the ball hard. It's not even safe, you know, to be standing on the pitcher's mound really anymore. The balls, they've kind of backed the balls off a little bit, but the bats are just still too crazy. Um, so they're expensive. I mean, it, and then by the time you supply the balls every weekend and everything and how much it costs to get a tournament, it's so like some of it is a price thing to where it used to be, you know, a hundred dollars and you can go play four games in a weekend tournament, hang out with your buddies and have a good time. And now it's probably double that. Um, and that's just small town softball, not even counting what it would cost to go play a true tournament. Now those bats, man, I was a pitcher. And so I kind of lived through the evolution of the bats and my goodness, they, it, it got to be dangerous out there. It, it, yeah. I mean, they had to start making rules about intentionally hitting up the middle. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. And now half the pitchers wear catcher's gear and yeah, it's not safe, especially if uh, people don't truly know what they're doing or try to do too much. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's where it gets dangerous is someone that's good enough to hit the hell out of the ball, but it might come right back at you. So, yeah, but it's, mm -hmm. it's a great sport. It's uh man. I, I spent a lot of hours out at uh, the ball fields here in town with the Go Pyrocat team, and and uh, so much of it's cultural about about Kansas, and, and so much of that answer was so Kansas. It's just a uh, a beautiful thing. I mean, we we miss that community, and and that's one of the things that I love about what you've done. You've come back to Kansas to to rediscover that community with which you grew up, so that your your kids could grow up in it. It's it's pretty damn cool, brother. Absolutely. Um, that was kind of especially, I mean, I think one thing that made it easy for us is my wife and I both grew up together a couple miles apart, and now we've built our house a couple miles away from where we each grew up, and that was always the plan, um, was to get them back in Kansas, get them in rural America, um, get them on the farm, do some work. Um, just, I don't know, It's to me, it's a pure life to live, and it's obviously all I know. Um, some people think I'm crazy when they ask what I'm doing, and I'm possibly doing harder labor now than I was when I had an NFL career. But I can tell my brother, I think we're kind of just screwed up in the head. It's what we know. And for some reason we enjoy it. Um, if it's riding on a hay rack, tossing square bales around or fixing fence or working cattle or whatever, like it just, it's what's natural for us to do. And somehow I'm, I'm guessing it's the people we're with, but somehow we create fun out of it and enjoy it and crack jokes and create memories. And I mean, we just like, as if we were playing high school football, we still talk about the same 
high school football players talk about the same memories from high school. And we talk about the same memories from farming as kids of cutting cane in the Milo fields or working cattle or throwing square bells or whatever it is. It's, you make memories and and you're getting some work in, so it helps you both ways. Another really Kansas thing you pointed out in your answer was the fact that when you grew up in Kansas back then, now it's all about you know weekend baseball and uh, traveling teams and AAU basketball that's year round. You played everything back in the day. You ran track, you football, you basketball. Um, if your high school had baseball, which mine didn't back in the day, but you just played a little bit of everything and you became really athletic. As you said, you, you kind of cross trained your body. So you were much more adaptable in whatever sport you ended up excelling at. Absolutely. Um, yeah, growing up, I played baseball. I think I stopped playing fifth, sixth grade year. Uh, we did not have baseball growing up in our high school, but once I got to high school, we finally got the sport. I think my freshman year might've been the first year for baseball. Um, but I've believed that from day one, um, that, you should cross train. Um, I think for multiple reasons, I think every sport can help out a different sport. I think kids get burnt out way too much on playing one sport 12 months a year. Um, I even laugh now. It's like someone texted me the other day and asked if our son was going to go to a baseball trial. So I'm like, it's the fall. Like baseball's over with, like it's, he's not playing football, but he should be playing football. I go somewhere. Then basketball would become in the winter and then baseball's in the spring and summer. Like, I mean, I just, it blows my mind and I feel bad for some of these kids when they have to pick. Um, I heard a kid this last weekend when we were up in Wisconsin that someone asked if he's still playing baseball. He's not, you know, she said, no, I still to focus on basketball. I'm like, you are 10 or 12. What do you mean? Focus on basketball, go outside and shoot in your driveway and focus on basketball. Like it was just disappointing to me because he wasn't playing baseball. And I mean, the way it sounded was, it, you know, he was a good athlete and played baseball. I mean, I assume since this person asked him about it, but just to have to zone in on one sport, um, I think kids miss out on way too much. The percentages of making it somewhere to make a living out of these sports is so outrageously small. And if it, and my example was if I had to pick when I was a kid, I probably would have picked basketball. I wouldn't even pick baseball. So then my career, I mean, obviously my life would be completely different. But to me, you just do it all. You don't know how your body's going to change. You don't know how you'll be good at one. This might be your favorite sport, but this one might be your best sport. Um, there's just so much unknown, and I hate for kids to have to, like, choose at such a young age and pigeonhole themselves into one sport or one position or whatever it may be. Uh, just let them be kids. Let them play sports. Let them have fun. Um, and I don't know. I think they'll be fine. And that's really what this game's about. You're going to raise some money, you're going to have some fun, and you got an interesting collection of people coming back. Who are some of the names of case staters might know? Yeah, so this is the best thing about this game. Um, when I first we started talking about doing it and then started thinking about who I would hope to be able to come back and play, um, I instantly went back to like my middle school, high school days of being a fan. Like I skipped the last probably 10 to 15, 20 years of players or probably 10 years of 15 years of players, just because I went to who, like I grew up playing. Like I became a fan again, like, Ooh, I want this guy back. I want this guy back. <laughs> Didn't even once think about guys I played with. <laughs> so I would, uh, so the first one that popped, well, number one for me was John McGraw, um, obviously Valley County guy. And I've 
I mean, told the story multiple times without him. Um, I definitely would not have walked on at K-State. And again, my career in life would probably be different because of it. He paved the way for me and so many other walk-ons and probably walk-ons before him paved the way for him uh, through Coach Steiner's, you know, kind of program that he had kind of set up. And um, so he was the first one on the list. Um, and then we went down through uh, some of the guys on the Ring of Honor, uh, Terrence Newman, Michael Bishop, uh, let's see here, David Allen, uh, Jamie Mendez, and then um, those were some of the guys on the football team. And then for to get the other sports involved, I went to the girls again, being uh, the girls probably don't like this, but being in high school and watching these girls play, <laughs> and the majority of them being from Kansas, um, I gave uh, Kendra Wecker and Nicole Oldie, uh, Lori Kane, and Megan Mahoney a call. So as of now, three of those four in, Lori is still way she's uh, coaching out at uh, Washington State. So uh, she doesn't know if she'll have duties that weekend or not. So those four are all going to come back. And then uh, got Christian Smith off the track, and um, who ran the 800, mm-hmm. and I believe made it to the Olympics. And then uh, Steve Fritz, who is um, obviously an Olympian as well. So... We dabbled around, tried to get some uh, men's basketball players. Uh, that kind of just kind of fell through. But um, I think by having different people from different sports, everyone will be able to connect. Um, a lot of them are Kansas kids, which is, makes me happy. Um, some of them are walk-ons. Um, yeah, so we uh, that's some of the list. There's definitely more uh, to come. This is awesome. And, and um, yeah, I want to raise some money for – Man, Young Life Manhattan, and uh, which is a Christian-based mentoring organization for middle school and high school-age kids. I even think they have a program, too, now at K-State. Um, we partnered with them when we were in Green Bay for nine of the ten years we were there. And uh, just love what they do with the kids. Um, Emily and I, almost everything we support has to do with kids. They are the future of our community. Um, like we somewhat mentioned earlier, there's so many influences in their lives, um, good, bad. Um, so whenever they can get good mentors around them, get, um, one thing I learned, um, in Green Bay was the people you surround yourself with, um, will affect your life so much, not only as mentors, but just how you feel day to day, um, happy, sad, mad, stressed, whatever it is, like you feed off of one another. Um, you feed off what you listen to in your car on your stereo. Like I didn't believe it until I was getting pretty like just down on everything. Everything was just so miserable. And finally I just changed the radio station and it made a huge difference. So, um, so yeah, that's what we're going to help support. And then, uh, some of the money too, will go to the, uh, front since they are, since K state is allowing us to have it inside Bill Snyder family stadium, which is, seems like a crazy idea. So hopefully we get plenty of fans to come out. So it doesn't look like a hundred people in a 50,000 stadium, 50,000 people stadium. So, um, but it'll be a unique setup and, um, hopefully this is something that will grow and we can get thousands of people at the game. That, that's going to be awesome. It's the Jordy Nelson legends, classic softball game. And if you don't know, I will link the details, folks, in the bio of the podcast so you can find out all the details. But it will be Sunday, September 12th. You must buy a ticket. It is raising money for good causes, as Jordy pointed out. And it is at the stadium, which is pretty wild to me. How Where's home plate going to be? <laughs> so home plate, well, okay, it is wild. And I don't even know how technically I thought of this, but I don't know how it popped in my head. So we're going to have it in the baseball stadium. 
and I think it seats like we were getting maxed out at like 3,500 people. And then like through that, by the time we did the players, families, uh, some K-State people that needed to get in and some other people, it's like, we're not going to hardly be able to sell tickets. And then with the minimum of tickets, the prices were going to be too high, higher than what I wanted them to be. I want anyone and everyone to be able to come to this game. So I think our most expensive ticket, if you take away like the package one that like you got like an autograph, something like, I think it's $12. Um, we want full families to be able to come. We want you to be able to get into the ballpark. So <laughs> you can say, but, um, <laughs> so I was sitting there, I'm like trying to think of other places in Manhattan where we could have like just more space, more room, even if it's just general mission, like standing room stuff. And for some reason I, well, after spending one year in Oakland, you learn you can play baseball on a football field or you play football on a baseball field. So um, I guess that's the one positive that came out of playing in Oakland. Um, so I brought it up in one of our meetings, and I didn't want to do it until next year um, just to get a feel for it. But K-State was all gun ho about it. And um, so, yeah, so home plate will be in the middle or on the home sideline right on the 50 yard line, but up against that, like the drain grate that goes around the field. So yeah. as far west on the sideline as possible, uh, second base is actually like dead center or right below the power cat on the 50 yard line. So the power cat in the middle of the field will be in the middle of the ball diamond. And then obviously the fence will run along the far grate on the visitor's side. So, um, it's a little shorter than a normal field. I won't tell you the distance because I don't want to ruin the excitement for how many home runs will hit. <laughs> but um, it still will be realistic. And then that way we could have uh, fans on the east side and the west side. Um, so if you want to sit, if you want to try to catch some home run balls from some of these guys, you'll get to keep your ball. You don't throw it back. We got Academy Sports donating a bunch of bats and balls and gloves. So we'll have all the balls in the world to hit out there. And um, So that way we can hit some balls out into the fans and see how far up the stadium we can go and We'll see if Bishop or anyone can uh, connect on one and get it all the way up to the uh, club seats on the east side. Nice. You've offered me the perfect segue. I'm excited to see Michael Bishop play because you talk about people that choose a sport. I'm not so sure Michael picked unwisely. As incredible football player he he was, I'm under the understanding he was one hell of a baseball player. Yeah, I think um, I remember again as a kid, as I say, growing up watching these guys. I believe he was one of the group that came out to Leonardville and Coach Schneider put on kind of a charity fundraiser thing for a girl at Bradley County High School with cancer. And Bishop and I think Monty Beisel and some other guys came out and played slow pitch in Leonardville. And I remember being outside the fence catching home run balls. But he had a cannon for sure. And um, one of those that um, we were mentioning earlier, like, can do it. And if he gets a little out of control, could be uh, kind of unsafe for some people. <laughs> so <laughs> Just because he could throw this thing and think so hard. And if you're not paying attention, it might have an adverse effect on you. So yep. um, it, it'll be interesting. It, like I said, there's plenty of athletes that will be coming, but we'll see the one i'm intrigued to see if kendra wecker can still do what she did as a kid what an athletic freak she was yeah oh my so, goodness and then megan Mahoney was already texting me telling me she's been out doing batting practice and fielding grounders so i will say the one thing about athletes is we're slightly competitive and i don't think anyone wants to come down here and uh embarrass themselves in front of people uh, will there be a medical staff? Because I think there's going to be some pulled hammies. <laughs> um, there will be medical staff. I'll have medical staff there when needed. Um, but uh, I think we'll be all right. It won't. 
I think it's the most effort we'll put out swinging the bat, and then everything else will be will be cruise control, hopefully. But it'll be good either way. Good, good. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm looking forward to football. How excited are you for getting around to football season? Man, it's honestly our life's been so crazy that it's weird to feel like fuzzy and here. I know. So I'm excited. I'm ready for things. Hopefully, be back to normal with the full stadium. Um, here in Manhattan and all across the country, both in college and NFL, it was so weird to listen and watch um, with the half-filled stadiums or with no fans at all. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for K-State. I was down to practice, uh, I believe, a week ago and talked to the guys. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see what they can do. I felt they were in such a good position last year until Skyler went down and then uh, Howard got thrown into such a – hard situation of no, I mean, completely screwed up off season that he had to deal with as a freshman and then, um, get tossed into the fire like that. So I'm excited, um, how they'll do, um, obviously get to see this one run around again and, um, what the defense can do. So I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be a good year. I, I liked what I saw at practice. Uh, I know the guy's been working, um, coaches have been, been on them, uh, Colin and Klein and I have, Got to really know each other the last uh, year or two since we've been back, and uh, so I've been getting some insight from there. So <laughs> he seems pretty positive about it. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. So um, it's, it's exciting to see and uh, definitely look forward to tailgating in, what is it, in two weeks? Uh, Next coming week up here. is game week, yeah. We, we'll yeah. be down in Arlington a, a week from, well, what was Saturday? It's in, it's crazy. Well, I don't know what the hell happened to my summer. It just yeah, I know. It's gone. Yep, it's gone. So, um, but yeah, I definitely look forward to it. That's the one thing. If people ask what I miss most, it was uh, I miss tailgating. I miss going on Saturday mornings, uh, three hours before kickoff. So um, I'm I'm glad to be able to do that again and uh, taking family and making memories. Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Hello everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. Looking back, uh, when I was... A high school senior coming to college, and you, you might be able to relate to this. I can't imagine being Will Howard. You're a true freshman on a college campus. You're in this weird pandemic era in which you're really not on a college campus. You're studying from home, and you're, you're trying to acclimate to college football, and 
three, four games into the season, oh, by the way, now you're the starter at a Big 12 conference team. I I can't imagine what he did and and how well he handled it despite his issues as the season went on. What a warrior. That's incredible to do that as a kid. I agree 100%. And then not only that that he had going on, but then this day and age with social media and everyone thinks they have a voice and thinks they know what they're talking about. And as much as you don't want to see it, you can't help but see it because it's everywhere. Um, so not only what he was having to deal with on the field, but mentally off the field of, you know, the highs of when they, um, what they do end up beating Texas tech to finish that one and then beating KU and then have some struggles and not only for him, but everything else that was going on with the program and, uh, guys in and out with COVID. So he didn't even have his full team with him. And so to have uh, hopefully some thick skin and to battle through it and uh, something that, you know, if done right, uh, will carry him probably a long ways with that uh, mentality and things that he had to handle. So um, seeing him at practice, he seemed upbeat and into it and like definitely no hangover from any of that um, stuff. So, um, I think he's developed a lot uh, through that year and through this off season, uh, talking to some of the coaches and Washington. And so, um, yeah, these, and the crazy thing is you think about it, he easily could have been 18, 19 years old. I mean, that's a lot for a kid to handle um, the pressure of a division one program, especially when you weren't expecting it. Now I understand every backup quarterback's ready to go in whenever, but um, that all sounds good with words, but it's a different element once you get thrown in and uh, are playing uh, big-time college football. So hopefully he comes out on the better end of it and uh, continues to grind it out. So, yeah, hopefully Skyler can stay healthy this year and then turn the reins over to the next two young guys and um, we'll have some quarterbacks for the future. So when you were that age, you were going to be a defensive back. Um and then there's the infamous trade, or at least this is what Marcus Watts says. You can't believe anything Marcus Watts says. <laughs> Maybe this is all fabricated, and it's just like he's built a Paul Bunyan legend about how you stole his his fame by swapping uh-huh. positions, and that he would have been an NFL receiver, but you stole that from him. That's at least yeah. that's what I hear him saying. Right. Uh, yeah, the the trade of all trades. Uh, <laughs> between him and I switching positions. Um, I think both of us had, we're on the wrong side of the ball. He preferred to run into things. I preferred to run away from things. So um, (laughs) it worked out um, for both of us, honestly, while at Um, K-State, he was playing some special teams, getting uh, maybe a little bit of receiver. I wasn't playing at all. And um, both became uh, big 12, uh, whatever, all conference players and stuff. So, I just give him a hard time. If he wasn't 45 by the time he graduated K-State, he would have had an opportunity to move on. But he was at K-State for like 10 years. Um, he was. No, he had a long – just with his gray shirt, and I think he was old for his class anyway. So we're like a grade apart and actually graduated the same year. But like I think he might be three years older than me. It's crazy. But, uh, You're so. exactly right. Because he, he, he was one of those kids that mommy and daddy – Held back for athletics in Hayes, Kansas, so he'd be a year older and had that advantage. I think we all recognize that he had problems in kindergarten. Yeah. And then uh, he he gray-shirted, red-shirted, and then he played football. So he was like uh, 23, 27, maybe 31 by the time he actually played college football. Right. 
absolutely. So, yeah, we give each other a hard time about that all the time uh, when we're on the golf course and stuff. So it's uh, it was good. But yeah, obviously, I'm very thankful for him giving up his receiver career. Uh, I think all K Staters are. We're, we're also <laughs> thankful of that. Um, <clears throat> when did you know that? Uh, you belonged at receiver because we just discussed about how you were a diverse athlete coming out of high school. You played a little bit of everything. Um, were you a quarterback in high school? Yes. Played quarterback and safety in high school. Um, um, I, when they first moved to me receiver, I mean, I always knew I was more of an offensive player than a defensive player. I've never been scared to admit it. I prefer to run from contact and run into a wall. So, um, that's just my mentality and how I was, you know, some people are the other way. They'd rather run towards people than try to avoid them. So when they switched to me receiver, I was very happy. Uh, I definitely agreed with the move. Wasn't going to argue with coach Schneider anyway, but <laughs> definitely was for the move and uh, had a real good spring. And then I think my first four or five games the next season, I had a touchdown in each game. Definitely could have done things a lot better, but I was able to get into the end zone. Um, and then that's when, you know, I had confidence playing, but to be honest, like it took me so long to have true confidence in myself that obviously my last three years at K state, our records weren't that great. And we definitely weren't the teams that coach Snyder had when I came to K state in those three and won the big 12 championship. So then in the back of my mind is like, okay, I'm playing, but am I only playing because we're not any good. We're going five and seven, six and seven, or seven and six or whatever it was, eight, five, whatever the records were. And so that creeped in my mind. So I still didn't know. And what was being productive. And then obviously junior year had my PCL injury that I was in and out of the lineup, couldn't run full speed. And then obviously my senior year um, was one for the record books. And even then going through that, I didn't, didn't know about the future. Um, playing at the next level. I think finally after the season, when I started getting um, all American honors, um, it kind of came to light that, Oh, there is a chance to uh, <laughs> possibly go play at the next level. And then just how that offseason progressed and talking uh, through the combine. And then my agent, um, when he finally gave me his prediction of where he thought I would go um, in the draft, I was like, Oh, I'm going to get drafted. Like it was one of those, like I just never, I don't know. I had K-State such a high pedestal for me of how I see that program, especially when Coach Snyder was there. And I believe now the same way as Coach Kleiman that, you know, I just never thought I was a Darnell McDonald or Quincy Morgan or, you know, Kevin Lockett or any of those guys. So it was, it was hard to truly grasp what I was able to do at K-State until everything was all done and finally got drafted. Was there a more ideal place for you and your background than going to Green Bay? It just seemed like the perfect fit for you. No, it was ideal. Um, I actually went to the Redskins on a visit, pre-draft visit, and their um, owner, went to dinner with their owner, GM, head coach, everyone possible. And he actually asked me, I said, do you think you can handle – moving to DC, um, and playing in a big city, big stadium. And I was like, I said, yes, like, obviously it's the correct answer to say, but I didn't think it would be a problem. And plus when I went on the visit, it was very interesting. Like their facilities and where they do all their work day to day is in a suburb. And then they bus into, uh, Virginia to play. 
or we're going to DC to play where the stadium is. So like a lot of these teams are outside of the city that they're named with. Um, and then they bus in or, you know, so the big city aspect wasn't that big of a deal. Even Chicago's like North of Chicago. Then they bus in or drive in the night before and stay in a hotel in downtown Chicago and then go to the game. So, um, I think all that would have been fine, but for me and growing up on a farm and going to Wisconsin, like not only was it great for my wife and I, but I think it's a perfect connection with the community and the organization and the fans and just allowed me to do these so many things off the field and just have that connection. Um, not only when I was playing, but probably forever that they saw, you know, a farm kid from rural, rural Kansas or rural America to come play for the Packers, I think was a perfect mesh. Yeah, I I just can't even imagine you anywhere else. And the one year you spent out in Oakland <laughs> or L.A., where was it? Uh, Oakland. It, it just seemed odd. It, it seemed odd to see you in that jersey and everything about it. Yeah, it was definitely different. Um, don't regret the decision at all. Um, it was great, honestly, to see uh, the other side of things. Um, and everyone asked how it was because everyone has the Packers up on a pedestal and where they, how they do everything so perfect. But like I've told everyone, like there's great things Green Bay did and there's things that Green Bay does on a day-to-day basis that I think they could do better. And same thing with Oakland. There's great things that Oakland did that Green Bay didn't do it, but there's also things that Green Bay did that Oakland didn't do. And it's like, you could mesh it all together and, you know, you could have a better organization. So it was good to see a, a different viewpoint instead of always having and getting released, honestly, not instead of always having like the perfect rose colored glasses of the NFL. And this is how everyone's careers. Cause it's definitely not mm-hmm. to be able to spend 10 years in one spot um, with one, one set of coaches pretty much that has some different receiver coaches, but the same offense, same quarterback, same head coach. Um, is very rare in that league. So um, obviously very spoiled on that end. So was, you know, hindsight, obviously wasn't happy about leaving Green Bay, but hindsight, um, I was glad that I experienced it because so many other guys have to on the getting released and having to go to a movie family and all that other stuff. Yeah, it was uh, crazy. But I've always looked at Green Bay as kind of the K-State of the NFL. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, but you can expand. Um, I, the kind of rural fans, wholesome fans, a little bit insane, obsessed fans, um, and uh, kind of overcome some of the small market things that people perceive to be so important, which at the end of the day, as we go through all this realignment stuff, it's really about uh, the culture of your school slash NFL franchise. And it's, and it's a similar culture, I think. 100 percent um they are crazy and beyond crazy up in green bay um they tailgate like crazy they travel like crazy um something i think k-state got known for and i hope we can get back to um is traveling to away games traveling to bowl games you know selling out a bowl game and being 75 25 percent um ratio with the visiting team or the other team and just kind of letting it be known. Um, and that's how Green Bay was. We loved going on the away games. As much as Lambeau Field is fun to play in, the away games when, you know, some of them would be 50-50 Green Bay fans and the away team fans. And then by the time the fourth quarter started, if we were winning and winning by a good amount, the home team fans would leave and all the Packer fans from the upper deck would slowly start working their way down and all of a sudden the lower bowl was all green and gold. So um, it was fun to be a part of that on both sides 
but yeah, they are they are true diehard fans. Uh, they definitely live on a roller coaster with everything, and I've always explained it like why these fans freak out all the time, and it's just they don't they don't have any control over anything, so they're just they're living on the edge of everything and guys in the locker room and coaches are the even kill ones because they know they'll go to work on Wednesday and Thursday and Saturday and, you know, Friday and Saturday and have control over what's going on to where the fans are just at the mercy of whatever we're doing. So, um, but yeah, it's, it was fun. It was a blast. Like I said, we, we connected so well with them and still do um, when we go up there and as um, the same here in Manhattan. So that's it's great to be back home and be a part of the K-State fan base and, be going to games on Saturdays. Yeah, you you mentioned something there that I has been a a theme for me with K State fans. I, I hope they can rediscover how fun it was in those days when you were growing up. You mentioned all the great stars you watched, <clears throat> but the fans were so obsessed with K State football. It was it was fun. It was new. They traveled everywhere so much, and I think we got I don't want to say spoiled, but accustomed to it. Yep, and, it's, and it's just not hasn't been the same for a while. And honestly, Jordy, I think this game in Arlington is is going to be big. If a bunch of K Staters go down there, and K State wins and looks good, I think it could ignite the fan base again. I I agree with you there on, and I will say spoiled. Um, and I'll, I guess I'll say with all due respect that way people don't get mad. Um, <laughs> but that's the same way in Green Bay. Um, Think about the two quarterbacks they've had for the last forty years. Um, they are spoiled out of their minds and they don't understand what they have and what they've, you know, and to the point where they get home, a lot of it is very quiet. Just let's sit down and watch these guys go to work, win a game, and let's go home. And I think, like you said, like when they were going to the Copper Bowl and the Holiday Bowl and um, Alamo Bowl and like the lower bowls, like it was all in. Like, this is awesome. This is new. This is great. And then you can get a couple of Fiesta Bowls and be like, yeah, we don't really need to go to the Music City Bowl because right. um, we're not in the Fiesta Bowl. So, um, yeah, it makes a difference. Um, I think it's human nature to go that way. Um, but at the same time, um, yeah, the support, uh, especially in college, uh, means so much and has such an impact on where these teams go. I think it gets talked about every bowl season. Uh, you know, if you're between two bowls, they're going to look at who brings the most fans, who's going to bring the most people, who's going to bring the most money in for the or for the bowl game, and it makes a difference. So, um, hopefully, we can get back to being known for that, um, and hopefully, at the same time, get back to playing great football. Um, I feel, I mean, we're talking about Will Howard and what he went through. I don't think Coach Clements had a normal season slash off season yet. No, and this is his third season now. So, I mean, for you know, so hopefully, he can get things you know, rolling and get things in a rhythm and some consistency around here and has nothing and not, none of that has anything to do with him. It's literally just the elements he's came into of being hired. So has no full recruiting season and then COVID hits and then they thought they were out of it and they finally get to see recruits. What was it? June or July, they could start seeing them and now COVID's rearing its head again and they're dealing with that and just, there's so much, um, that those coaches deal with that. They don't just get to coach, um, the kids up for seven hours a day or whatever it is, um, like coach Snyder did. Um, I mean, as crazy as it seems just five years ago or so. Um, so hopefully things can calm down and get back to normal and everything settle in. Um, and cause I think that's the same, that's such a big thing with coach Snyder was the foundation that he built when he came in. And then 
the tradition that was made. And it was the guys holding guys responsible, the fans being there. It was, I don't want to say it became routine because I know of all the work that went in behind it. But, like, it just became a process. And everyone bought into the process, players, coaches, fans. But the process was consistent because there was a consistent – every month of the year was this, a consistent month. They didn't have all that extra nonsense that was going on that there is today. Now, how important was that in constructing Jordy Nelson, the football player? I mean, he Coach Snyder had such a base core philosophy, just get better today and then tomorrow do the same thing. And it sounds simplistic and kind of silly to outsiders, but he built an entire football program off of that idea. It is. And so to go off of that, I went, was able to go to a Cubs game a couple of years ago and able to go down underneath to the clubhouse and meet Joe Madden. And uh, a bunch of the guys were walking around with different T-shirts on that had different little sayings. And I guess they were all Joe Madden's little nonsense sayings that he would say. But one of them was, do simple better. And I actually asked him if I could get a couple of those T-shirts because I love the saying. That's uh, and like you were saying with Coach Snyder, like it was about work. And through my career, if it was obviously leaving Riley County and going to K-State um, and then it ended Green Bay, people always asking, like, and I was telling the guys this the other day at K-State, I'm like, everyone's always wanting to know the secret. Like, how'd you get it? How'd you do it? What's the secret? I'm like, guys, there's no secret. Like, it's literally just work. And if you do that, you might make it, you might not. But to me, you'll be satisfied with what happened. Like, you can accept it. And if you know if you did what you're supposed to do all the time and put in the work and put in the effort, the results are going to be what they're going to be. Some things, some things are out of your control. But there's certain things you can control, and one of those is the work that you put in each and every day. And if you grind at it, you will get better, and then the team will get better, and then the results will be what they are. I have never been worried about results. Obviously, you want to win games, but um, the quality of play will determine that. And then if you play a great game and you get beat by a field goal, you tip your cap and you move on. You're not happy about it. You'll try to find a way to beat them. But if you go out there and screw around and have a bunch of mistakes and get beat by a field goal, that's a lot worse. And mm-hmm. that really that really hits you deep. So, um, but yeah, just, just the work. I mean, and you just, you just knew it. You knew what it was going to be every day. You knew it was going to be two hours and 47 minutes of practice and everything. And you just, you went and put the work in and then that set the foundation for things to happen. So, um, yeah, when you're, when your mind is set in that way, it, it's, it's a lot easier to handle. Do simple better. That is a great phrase. No, I loved it. I went around the Green Bay facility all the time because I feel like our coaches and a lot of coaches overthink so much stuff. And even like they say, like when it's bull prep or like Super Bowl, when they have the two weeks off or whatever, um, like you can start watching too much film. You start mm-hmm. saying like you foil, you make your game plan and then you watch your game plan through the film. And then it's like, Oh wait, we should do this. Or we should do that. Like you have, it's just do simple better. And I've talked to coaches and it's like, cause to me with, uh, Belichick out in new England, like everyone gives him so much credit, which he deserves 100%. But to me, he keeps the game very simple. We are going to find your weakest point and we are going to attack it on offense. Like if we're going to find your defensive weak spot and we will beat the brains out of that guy for four quarters and win the ball game. It might be a receiver doing it. It might be a tight end doing it. It might be our running back doing it, catching a pass. It might be running all of a sudden two tight ends and a fullback and power football for the full game, but we will find your weak spot and attack it. 
and then on a, when the, with their defense and against your offense, we're going to find your strength and take it away and make you beat us left-handed. When we played New England and Green Bay, my 2015, I think, 14. Um, so their thing they would always do is take their de- best DB, and everyone always thinks you should match your best DB on your on their best receiver. But they took their de- best DB and put it on the number two guy. So they put Revis on Randall Cobb in the slot. They put Brandon Browner on me outside and then put a safety literally 10 to 15 yards right behind him. So I had, it was like almost like punt team. I had a guy pressing me the whole time and then a safety straight over top. And then they had the safety in the middle of the field playing one high. And then they left their third DB on our third receiver, Devontae Adams at the time when he was a rookie and made us beat him left-handed and Devontae went off for a hundred yards. I don't know if he got a touchdown or not, but he started beating him in the first half. So then they changed everything. And then we were good enough in green Bay that we had multiple receivers. So they switched everything up, put Revis on me, put Browner in the safety on top of Devontae and moved the other corner on Randall. And then Randall and I went to town. So it was like, they keep to me, like obviously they have played great game plans, but they keep it simple to where you're going to beat us left-handed on offense and we are going to pound your weak spot on defense. And so to me, that's as doing simple better. If you ask me. Yeah, I agree. I also think it's about, you know, take, taking this to basketball, the guys who stand at the gym, shooting three pointers all day and trying to work on their crossover and they can't hit a free throw, yeah. you know, I mean, do the little things and everything else can follow, but you got to learn yeah. how to do the basics. Yep. Steph Curry ruined high school basketball for everyone. <laughs> Cause I think they all just need to stand around that arc. And that's what we'll just sit there and we're like, all right, well, if you can't make a free throw, then you don't need to be shooting from back there. I've got one important question I got to ask you and I've covered sports for 30 plus years and I've never, ever asked this question, but um, you strike me as a, a guy that actually is faster in the course of a game than maybe if you just lined up and ran a 40, which is kind of a rare gift. You mentioned it. You like to run away from people instead of get hit. What's it like to run that fast as a slow person? I want to know what's it like when you just take off and you build that head of steam. Um, It's a good feeling, obviously, especially when it happens multiple times. Um, But, I think for me, like like you said, like I got fast. And I didn't know you go to get faster as the game went on, but I got faster the farther I ran. Right. Like my first twenty yards is definitely the slowest point of my race, which obviously I get that's you're starting, so that's how it is for a lot of people. But a lot of guys, it's only like five to ten yards. Like mine, I take a while to get up and get going and get the legs legs turned over. So um, there's a lot of times when I was running routes that I knew. Like, if I try to tell the quarterback, if, I, if I'm even with them at 10, like, I'm going to win because they won't keep up with the stride length and the turnover. Like, I, I'm through my slow face. Like, they have to turn, and then they won't be able to run with me at that point. And that's how, that's how I've always been. Um, I'll go back to the state track my senior year. Gary Siegel, our head coach, was sitting in the stands for the finals of the 100, and there's a kid from Lakin that was fast and had a faster time than me coming in to state. And we were both in the middle lane for finals. And he, so he just, they always have fun at state track me. So pick different guys um, in the race. Like, I think it'll be lane four, lane five, the kid from where, here and there, whatever. And so obviously he picked me to win it, 
with some other coaches. I don't remember where they were from, but uh, he said the moment we came out of the blocks is the best start I had in my career. I came out of the blocks even with everyone. He said after I did that, he stood up and put his arms in the air because he knew it was over. Once I was even, as they always say, if you're even, you're leaving. And um, for me, I knew the strength of my race was probably after the 100 meters. Like, I was just getting going then. So um, that's just how I've always been. And I think you just have to know your skills. And so many guys try to become people they can't. I'm not saying, like, don't work on your weaknesses, but you have to be comfortable with who you are. Like, like you're saying, like, if you can't shoot the three or can't shoot, like, work on that, but also take it to the hole or whatever. Like, if you – like, I wasn't the quickest guy, so I didn't try to – I didn't waste my time trying to be quick. I used my size. I ran. I used my hands and my body to – create separation i wasn't trying to be quick and use my feet to create separation like you have to know your strengths and build on those you have to know your weaknesses and get better but you have to be true to yourself and what you do well you can't like i can't become Devontae adams there's absolutely no way it's way too quick way too explosive but there's things that i could do that Devontae struggled with so it's just stuff that you have to be comfortable with who you are um and continue to build on those and play to your strengths Jordy, I appreciate your time. I know you've got <clears throat> things to do. You probably got crops that need Jordy Nelson's love. Yep, my brother is waiting on me to get out there to chop some corn today. So we will be putting in a good day's work. Beautiful. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it very much. And best of luck with the softball game. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Okay, you bet. Bye. I told Jordy we would take about 40, 45 minutes. I want to hear over that. I could tell he was itching to get out in the fields with his brother, and it was time to cut it short. But I hope you can make it to the softball game coming up on September 12th, the day after Kansas State's home opening football game against Southern Illinois at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. All that information, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, is found in the bio of this podcast. Well, we appreciate you tuning in for this special edition of the Life of Fitz podcast. And it was great fun to talk to Jordy, who is a great, great person and always so humble. And it's amazing in talking to Jordy. He's still the same guy I interviewed at Kansas State many years ago. Just always very, very well grounded and a consummate gentleman in Kansas. And it's time for that reminder. Gentlemen, if you're 45 or older, go get your PSA scored. It is your frontline defense against prostate cancer. That's it for this edition of The Life of Fitz. Kansas State football is right on the horizon. And you better catch up with all of our PowerCat podcasts. Make sure you're subscribing to those on whatever your podcast service is. Take care, everyone. I'll talk to you real soon. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.